Welcome to Swift Unwrapped, a weekly podcast about the Swift uh, programming language and other uh, projects at Swift.org. I'm Jesse Squires. And I'm JP Smart. And today we're going to discuss um, data races and uh, concurrency, threading, and how easy it is. Uh, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah. Never hit any issues whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so this is fun. The more threads, the easier it is, actually. <laughs> more threads means means it's better, right? Yeah, right. Okay, cool. Uh, more more is better. Um, yeah, so this, this is stemming from uh, a few experiences that I've had in the last few weeks about just dealing with uh, data races in Swift and um, how you kind of need to think about it a little differently than we, we used to with Objective-C or with other uh, C-based languages. Um, and in a few surprising ways. Uh, so I'll give you a very concrete example. The other day, um, I was working on um, running SwiftLint uh, on Docker, in Docker, uh, for our CI setup, because it's way faster uh, to spin up a Docker instance to run it, um, even though the execution of the program is slower than on Mac OS by uh, like even a factor of like one and a half or close to two, mm-hmm. uh, it's still way faster to spin up the Docker image, run it, and that than it is to spin up a Mac OS VM, wait for it to boot, wait for it to connect. Like the 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 tooling side on infrastructure for Linux is clearly like light years ahead of where Mac OS is. Sure, and so. I was running this uh, very occasionally, maybe one out of a hundred times, we would see a seg fault while running uh, SwiftLint. And we had only experienced this on Linux. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I couldn't find like a very good way to reproduce it. Like I tried running it just like on a repetitive basis in the Docker image. Um, and then eventually found ways to like, okay, well, there's a way to enable core dumps whenever any application and any executable seg faults that Linux will uh, record a more detailed uh, stack trace of of the execution of the program oh. at the time of the seg fault. Nice. So there are like certain flags that you can do, like enable core dumps and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll try to remember to add um, uh, this to the show notes. But anyway, eventually found out how to trigger this and then realized that uh, the the crash was happening while freeing memory in libc. Uh, and this is a pure Swift code base. So I'm like, okay, well, great. Uh, is this, so my first, first approach is, well, is this indicative of um, something that I'm doing wrong or like is a crash as far into libc where it's freeing memory, something that might actually be wrong with with Swift. Right. It was happening uh, in in release, in Swift's release. Mm. Right. So we're we're actually kind of really far deep in there. Yeah, yeah. And so I tweeted out, you know, so crash uh, segfault in in uh, in freeing memory in libc. Um, you know, is this necessarily something that I'm doing wrong, or is is this possible that uh, that this might be a bug in Swift? Right, and so I tweeted out, and then the next thing that comes to mind is um, 
you know, this is this kind of looks like it might have something to do with a data race. Right. Um, you know, freeing memory m- might might occasionally um, crop up bugs that are happening when when there is improper um, uh, thread handling happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so the next thing that I try is, okay, well, is there a way to run this with TSAN enabled on Linux? Mm-hmm. Right. So on Mac OS with Xcode projects, we have the nice checkbox in the scheme settings. When you do edit scheme, uh, there's a diagnose tab in the run section, and then you can just check enable thread sanitizer. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so is there a way to do that with the Swift package manager on Linux? Mm-hmm. Well, the Swift package manager has a way to pass Swift C flags to Swift C uh, when you do say Swift build dash X Swift C, and then you pass in uh, whatever flags you want to pass to to Swift. Yeah, is that documented anywhere? Or uh, I don't think it's even officially supported. I see. Um, so no, not uh, not to the best of my knowledge. So you pass. Uh, Swift build X Swift C, and then I had to do a bit of digging to figure out like what's the Swift C flag even for thread sanitizer, mm-hmm. uh, and it's kind of awkward because it's just a single dash but a long parameter name, so it's single dash uh, sanitize equal thread. Mm-hmm. Does so, this mean you can enable the other sanitizers yes, as well? Okay. Yes. Uh, so if you do dash sanitize equals um, address, yeah, you can enable uh, asan address sanitizer. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right, so pretty useful, uh, especially, you know, and this isn't terribly useful when you're just building. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to kind of run the executable with this. Uh, and right. Swift Package Manager now has a shortcut for building and running, which is just called Swift Run. Mm-hmm. So the same Swift X Swift C flags that you pass to Swift Build, you can pass to Swift Run. Nice. And so um, when you run SwiftLint, it automatically uh, creates... Uh, it automatically parallelizes the work using uh, GCD. And so um, it already kind of runs in a uh, multi-threaded scenario. And so I just did Swift run, X Swift C, sanitize thread, and right away it caught this data race. So like huge thumbs up to um, the TSUN team. Just like that technology is absolutely amazing. Yeah. And it caught this right away. Uh, and this is while trying to, uh, I actually probably spent close to an hour trying to reproduce this uh, on Linux, right. uh, eventually did um, reproduce this crash. And so it was really not easy to reproduce, but TSAN caught it right away. Right. So really cool thing. Um, so that's kind of lesson number one is that it's very easy to run TSAN with Swift Package Manager. Yeah, yeah. It's just undocumented. Um, it's not officially supported. Uh, and as an aside, you know, I brought this up. Uh, I was when I was trying to find out how to run Swift Package Manager with TSAN enabled. Yeah, yeah. I went to the Swift Package Manager uh, Slack group, which sure. is open and unofficial, but there's a few Apple folks in there. Sure. Uh, and I asked them, you know, is there a way to do this? Um, and Rick Ballard, super responsive, like replied within a minute, I think, and said, no, there's no official way. And as far as I know, there's I can't even think of a hacky way to enable it. Right, and so I reported back in there once once I found this, um, and probably within like an hour or two later, Ankit, uh, who works on the Swift Package Manager, had filed a PR. That's amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah, super awesome to see um, that was enabling like a first party flag for the Swift Package Manager to enable TSAN. Mm-hmm. And that kind of devolved or evolved into a huge discussion about well, you know, if we do this here. 
where do we draw the line? Like how many of the Swift fleet C flags do we want to re-expose via Swift package manager? And it's a very valid discussion. For sure. Um, and something that, that needs to be thought, thought out. Uh, but what would be great is, you know, this is going to take time to like really figure out what's the best strategy here. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, instead of just like pontificating on this, it'd be great if some documentation was written on at least how to do things today. But there's probably some reticence towards doing that because this isn't officially supported. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a whole mess. Right. Well, you can pass the, I mean, the situation is you can pass arbitrary Swift C flags to SPM, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah. So it seems like, I, I don't know. It, I mean, that seems like reasonable to me. I don't know. To document that? Yeah. Yeah, just to be like at least that much. Like, yeah. oh, you can just pass any Swift C flags with with a big disclaimer saying like this might go away at any time. Sure, uh, because that's probably the whole reason why it's hidden behind, yeah. um, kind of an obscure flag and not documented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I wish yeah. they would do that. Yeah, hey, you should open a PR and add that to the README. <laughs> you should probably do that. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. So, uh, found the the TSAN issue. Uh, or, or found a race using TSAN. Now, yeah. was, now we had to dive into it and figure out what it was. Right. So obviously, all these sanitizers are not static analysis. So that means on CI, you're running some sort of example project for SwiftLint or... Aha. So yeah, yeah. that leads us to our next thing. Because okay. running a Swift executable with TSAN enabled will exit with a non-zero uh, exit code. Yeah. Um, it's very easy to run this on CI. Mm-hmm. Now, um, because SwiftLint is a self-hosted linter, <laughs> uh, quote unquote, um, it's as close as you can get to it where it can lint itself. Nice. Um, it's very easy to just r- do SwiftLint run or Swift run, uh, and that will build and run SwiftLint and run it in the current directory therefore <laughs> linting SwiftLint's own sources. Right, amazing. Um, and so that's what I've exposed on CIs. I just have a Swift run and then this Swift C sanitized thread flag. Uh, and just that single command is enough to run SwiftLint on itself, which is a few hundred Swift sources. Mm-hmm. And, and so that will leverage kind of all the cores available, will run SwiftLint in a multi-thread scenario. And therefore, if there's a data race to be had, it's likely to, to hit it. Mm-hmm. So it runs all of the rules available. It, it or, doesn't right okay. now. It only runs kind of the, the rules that SwiftLint itself has enabled for itself. Okay. Um, and there was an interesting comment in the PR where, well, maybe we should pass the flag to SwiftLint that enables all the rules. But at this point, I don't see a whole lot of value in doing that. It would only slow it down. Mm-hmm. And the way SwiftLint is architected, um, that shouldn't really, like individual rules shouldn't mm-hmm. cause uh, a, a data race. Right. Because it's working kind of in an isolated chunk. I see. Uh, so it's more just kind of the whole... Uh, architecture of SwiftLint that running multiple rules at all should identify if there's a data race. Mm-hmm. Um, enabling all rules, I don't think will will actually help. Yeah, um, it's possible that it would identify something, but you'd have to be doing something very uh, unorthodox in the rule where yeah. you're actually like making asynchronous calls to things, and and we're not doing that at the moment. Uh, but very good question. And so this is 
super easy to run on CI, and I highly encourage um, you to to run this on on CI for yourself if you have any Swift package manager projects. Yeah, or even standard Xcode projects, right? Yeah, or yeah. even Xcode. Uh, yeah, but the nice thing about Swift package manager is that you can run this on Linux and macOS. Right. Right. With TSAN. And TSAN is cross-platform, right? So you can run it on every platform Swift supports, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the next obvious thing that, that would be nice um, would be if you could pass this flag to Swift test. Because not everyone necessarily, like, say you have just a library uh, that you're exercising in a multi-threaded scenario in your unit test, but you don't have an executable then it'd be nice to run Swift tests with sanitized thread. Right. Uh, but there's, you can't pass uh, this Swift C flag with, uh, uh, with Swift tests at the moment. Uh, interesting. Um, I wonder why that limitation. I think it's a limitation of XC test, actually. I see. Um, but anyway, I was getting some error message. I don't recall what it was off the top of my head at the moment. Okay. So in order to use this now, you'd have to have some sort of example project or something to that makes use of your library to catch the TSAN problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's possible that um, the TSAN limitation with XC tests is only a Darwin XC test issue. Mm. I didn't actually try it on Linux, as far as I recall. Mm-hmm. And because they're completely different implementations, right? Uh, yay forking. Uh, it might actually work on Linux. I I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, that would be very helpful because not every library has an accompanying like canonical executable for it. Mm-hmm. Right. right. So getting back to um, this data race in SwiftLint. Um, so now that uh, we ran TSAN on it, immediately found an issue. Uh, now the next step is to um, identify what the issue is. Right. Uh, so in this case, even though the sec fault was happening in uh, while freeing memory in libc, that's not where tsan was actually identifying the race. Uh, tsan is, uh, as I've mentioned, a magical piece of software. Um, and it was identifying exactly what call in my Swift code was causing the race. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, I love this to death. Yeah. Um, and so in this case, it was a call to invalidate cache. So SwiftLint has all these uh, little in-memory caches that it uses to speed up some operations. Uh, not all that uncommon. And uh, these caches need to be thread safe when doing operations like getting, setting, clearing the cache, and validating it, etc. Yeah. And so there's uh, some resource management happening here that um, makes sure that uh, we're performing these thread unsafe operations in a queued fashion, right? So we're uh, going through NS lock and making sure that uh, we lock every time we'll need to perform a mutating operation. Right. Uh, this cache is uh, at this point or before we found this this race, it was a struct. It was a struct and any method, any function that could potentially mutate uh, the underlying storage mm-hmm. um, was doing so within uh, a NS lock lock and NS lock unlock um, block. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, now, some of these mutating functions. Now, with Swift structs, you can actually annotate the function as mutating or not, mm-hmm. uh, which is super useful because then you need to mark uh, the top-level 
reference to that struct as a var if you want to change anything to it. Right, right. Uh, and not only that, but if you mutate anything from within the body of a function in a struct, uh, you need to mark it as mutating. So the compiler really helps you there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one kind of limitation here is that uh, even if there's a code path for your function on the struct that doesn't actually mutate the underlying storage, there's no way to say that that function is only in- mutating in certain contexts. It's either mutating or not. Right. So in the case of invalidate cache, there was a scenario in which um, there was no need to mutate the underlying storage. Yeah. Uh, I think there's like a fast path in here where like if there's no- if there's nothing in the cache, that's not a- exactly because that would still need to be locked. But there was a scenario in which invalidate cache didn't require mutating the underlying storage. Right. And therefore, my naive brain thought that it wasn't necessary to lock around this call to invalidate cache if I knew up front that it wasn't going to mutate the underlying storage. Right. Uh, big mistake. Yeah. Um, because Swift structs and mutating functions on Swift structs implicitly require exclusive access to uh, to, to to that call. Um, and so even if the underlying storage isn't being mutated, you still need to make sure that the caller, uh, not necessarily just the callee, but the caller needs to make sure that even in mutating, non-mutating scenarios, uh, calls to that is, um, is, is being resource managed in a thread safe way. So in other words, locked. Right. Yeah. Because self is implicitly passed as in out in a mutating function. That's right. Yeah. Uh, So big difference here between uh, Swift structs and classes. Yeah. Because uh, classes, all the functions on a class are basically assumed to be potentially mutating. Sure. Um, Which is why you don't have the mutating keyword for functions on classes, which is why you can mark a class as let and still perform mutating operations on it at the calling site. Mm-hmm. And this is another big difference between Swift and Objective-C. Right. Because you don't have structs and therefore you don't have the mutating keyword in Objective-C. And you've never had this to worry about. So in Objective-C, um, if you have a mutating function, it's not marked as mutating, but it mutates the underlying state. Sure. That has a path, code path in which it doesn't mutate the underlying state. You don't have to lock calls to that. Right. Um, because self isn't passes in out in it doesn't require exclusive access to that function call. Right. So this was really surprising to me yeah. uh, because it meant that fixing this bug, fixing this data race was literally just changing the keyword struct to class. Yeah, right. There was no other race and then r- removing all the mutating keywords from all, sure. all the functions that were mutating. Uh, so that was really surprising. Yeah. Uh, did you make that class final? Uh, I did because it's um, actually it wasn't necessary to make it final because it's just an internal class. I see. Uh, And I'm not if if I needed to subclass it for whatever reason, I would just remove the final keyword. Sure. Um, So yeah, because it's it's not exposed externally, I I didn't have to to mark it um, as final. Yeah, definitely surprising. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Under the hood, when you have. a struct with a mutating function, and then you call that, and it, let's say, it mutates some property of that struct. Um, you're basically you're kind of 
copying that thing with this new value and like replacing that value, right? Essentially, uh, it depends what um, the copy semantics are for that property that you're mutating. Okay, sure. So let's say if you have like a point struct with like x y z, and then you have a mutating function that mutates the x value. Right. So if x y z are um, uh, structs or value types themselves, yeah, then yeah. that type probably has a copy on write semantic. Yeah. Uh, but if it's a reference type, say like it's an unmutable uh, or a mutable unsafe pointer, sure, um, or buffer. You know, I'm getting yeah. this mixed up, yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> but if you have a reference type, then it'll mutate in place. It won't do a copy on write. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it depends on on the thing that you're mutating, not not the parent. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so hopefully that wasn't too difficult to follow. Um, we have links pointing to to Twitter threads um, and uh, pull requests as well uh, if you want to see some of the details here. But it was right. pretty surprising and really frames the whole situation as uh, there are new considerations for Swift and thread safety. Yeah, exactly. I think normally we think of uh, structs well, they are value types, and we think, oh, these things are thread safe. We don't have to worry. We can pass these values across threads. Um, but when you have mutating functions on a struct that you're calling, then uh, semantics are slightly different. So big lesson number one is enable TSAN. It's super yes. easy and very helpful. Yeah. Uh, run it on CI. Yep. Big lesson number two is um, that uh, mutating functions on structs require exclusive access. Yeah, very There are probably other lessons here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, perhaps. <laughs> but I'm a slow learner. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, there are some places in PlanGrid actually where we have explicitly opted for final classes instead of structs for performance reasons. Um, so this is almost another scenario where like, oh, maybe you should just use a final class. You can have all let properties. You still have this kind of like quote, value semantics of, you know, or it's, you know, this immutable data, yeah. you know, this immutable type. So I think that's always a good thing to to keep in mind. Like you can use a final class with all let properties instead of a struct yeah. if necessary. And it, it also goes to show that um, value semantics, reference semantics aren't strictly tied one-to-one -to, -one to structs versus classes because you can have a struct that shows a lot of uh, reference semantic behavior yes and you can have a class that uh entirely behaves to uh value semantics exactly um, yeah so they're um not they're kind of leaky abstractions a little yeah bit. yeah for sure yeah the other good example of that i guess is array and string which have underlying storage they're copy on write uh they have these buffers that uh are reference types mm -hmm. obviously so Totally. Yeah. Definitely some gray lines there. Some blurry lines. Yeah. Well, I think that's all we have for today. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter at Jesse underscore Squires, and you can get, catch the show at Swift underscore Unwrapped. Uh, my name's JP. You can catch me on Twitter at SimJP. And uh, as always, if you can leave a review on iTunes, we'd appreciate it. If you want to join the conversation, we're at spectrum.chat. Thanks for listening. <laughs>